a long time, uh, one of my sort of least favorite words or, or expressions was the idea of a person uh, being single-minded, okay? I always thought that if a person was said to be single-minded, it was really just code for them being sort of greedy or selfish, you know, single-minded. But I was kind of wrong, wasn't I? Because it can be a good thing to be single-minded. It can be a positive thing if we are single-minded in the pursuit of something good, if we're single-minded in the pursuit of something worthy. Well, what I think we'll see tonight, certainly towards the end of the sermon here, is that in some respects, and I've got to be very careful with my language here, in some respects, God can be said to be single-minded. That what we'll see in this chapter with Abraham and Abimelech, Genesis chapter 20, what we'll see is that God is uh, unstoppable. He is uh, committed that, that God himself is single-minded in his determination to bless his people. Now, as I said, we'll see that later on in the sermon, probably, you know, in our third point, something like that. But before we get to that, before we get to the the faithfulness of God, what I want us to do is to to think about the other side of it, to think about the faithlessness of man and this stonker of a mistake that Abraham makes in this chapter here. So, you know, as usual, we'll just, we'll have three points. And the first two of these points, I want us to base in this mistake, this sin, this error that Abraham makes here. So if you haven't, what am I going to say? Please pick up your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 20, have them open. Let's consider our first point. Let's consider uh, the first heading, that is, the habits of sinfulness, okay? The habits of sinfulness. Now, tonight we're back looking at Abraham, aren't we? Now, I don't know if you, can you remember where we'd left him? We'd kind of left Abraham up in this elevated position and he was sort of overlooking the burning embers of Sodom. Then we went, do you remember where we were last week? We went to look at Lot and all that sort of, unsavory uh, nonsense and Lot and his daughters in that cave and all that disaster area. Well, well, tonight we're back here with Abraham and we've got him doing what Abraham does best. Can we, because look at this, we've, we've got him here sort of being the, the nomad, you know, the sojourner. He's, he's traveling about at the beginning of the chapter from place to place. And then what happens is that the, the, the chapter focuses in on one particular a journey or instance where Abraham moves into this place called either Gerar or Gerar, something like that. He moves into this new city. He tells this lie to the king in that place, Abimelech, and it is a lie that kind of blows up in Abraham's face. Okay, now, Enough with that. Enough with the sort of overview of what we're looking at here. Tell you what, let's deal with the elephant in the room. There is an elephant in the room, isn't there? Certainly, if you've been in the congregation over the few weeks, because, you know, 
if we're reading Genesis 20 properly, if we are reading it in light of what we've already seen in Genesis, then what happens when we're reading these verses here is that we are just slapped in the face with a sense of deja vu. Are we not? I mean, we're we're reading this and there's just this almighty sideswipe of deja vu. Look at verse 2 with me, please. Look what it says. Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Now, we read that and we think, wait a minute, has Paul made a mistake when he was doing the reading? Is that what it is? Have we not heard that? Before Abraham saying that that Sarah is not his wife but his sister, we, we have heard it before, have we not? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Verse 12. Just for a second, please do it. Genesis 12, verse 12. Let's remind ourselves of what we've got. Genesis 12, verse 12. So Abraham, speaking to his wife, what does he say? He says, when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. What does he say? Say you are my sister, so that I'll be treated well. So do you see it? Abraham's done this already. He's already said to his wife, you know, see, you are my sister. Now, that time in Genesis 12, if you weren't here, what we saw when we looked at it was that it was a complete disaster. Okay? I mean, when, when, when Sarah said that, that she was just Abraham's sister, uh, there was disease, there was near death. It was a complete write-off of a situation. And then think about this. In the intervening time between chapter 12 and chapter 20, what's happened? Abraham has seen nothing but the goodness of God. He's seen nothing but blessing and, and riches from God. And yet, despite that, what does he get when we get to chapter 20? He does it again. I mean, he makes the same mistake again. Do you see what we have? We have here a pattern of sin. Here before us, we have repeated, repeated sinfulness. And it's kind of astonishing, isn't it, that Abraham would do this again, that he would lie about his wife's identity. Do you know? Quite astonishing. After all that mayhem in Egypt, all the mess with Pharaoh, But I would urge you tonight not to be too harsh on Abraham here. Because isn't this true? Isn't it true that what happens here with this guy is true of you? Isn't it? Isn't it the case that for you, for me, for everyone in here, that there is repeated sin in our lives? No? I mean, habitual sin? Patterns? Of sinfulness, you know, we, we, we do something or we we think something, we say something, and, and immediately we do it and we think, I've done that before. And immediately we do it and we, we pray, you know, we're filled with sort of a sense of remorse and we, 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 we pray, Lord, forgive me for doing that again. And we pray, Lord, I'm never going to do this again, Lord. And then what happens? The next day or the next week or the next month we do the same 
again. Now, friends, we have to tackle this. We have to tackle repeated sinfulness. Now, we've got to understand that there is going to be a temptation to play down and make light of this sort of thing, of repeated sin. Because think about it, just by its very nature, a repeated sin or a a pattern of sin is something that we are familiar with. We're doing it again. We become familiar with these things, with these patterns of sin. And what we do is we kind of just play it down. Is that not what Abraham does here? I mean, he, he lies about Sarah again. And then what does Abimelech do? Okay, you've got this king. God appears, reveals Sarah's true identity. Abimelech is raging. And he storms to Abraham and he says, Abraham, why did you do this? Why did you lie about your wife's identity? And do you see how Abraham reacts? He's like, ah, come on. It's not a big deal. Abraham's kind of saying, look, it's kind of true. She's, she's my half-sister, you know? He plays down. He makes light of this repeated sin. We, we, we cannot do that. And we've also got to understand that these patterns of sin, this habitual sin, it isn't just going to go away overnight. You know, see these repeated sins in your life? It's not like tomorrow you're going to wake up and it's just going to vanish and there's not going to be any temptation, no problem at all. We as Christians in Jesus Christ have to fight these patterns of sin. And so here's what I suggest we do. Let's lay out just now just three very, very short practical steps fighting repeated sin in our life. Okay, let's arm ourselves for fighting repeated sin this week. Okay, three steps, very simple things, okay? And they all begin with P, so they should be easy to remember, okay? First one is that we need to prepare. What do I mean by that? We need to prepare. Well, we need to identify what these repeated sins are, and we need to do something about it. So that means that we have to do stuff like we have to fast and pray to God about what? We need to fast and pray to God about those very specific sins. We need to take those things in honesty to God in prayer. And then what we need to do is we need to try and sort of eliminate any triggers or temptations that will lead us into those sins. We need to get rid of that stuff. You know, making even drastic, drastic steps to our lifestyle, we need to prepare second one we also need to pray it's me now that's repeating myself have i not just said that yeah well it's obvious and i have just said it but what i mean here is that we need to pray at the moment at the very point of temptation now think again about abraham here okay now abraham is moving into gerar he's moving into a new city now what does he know He knows that very recently, in exactly the same situation, moving into a city in Egypt, he has fallen into sin, okay? So what should Abraham be doing as he moves into Gerar? He should be moving in there thinking, I need to pray. I need to cover this whole situation. Lord, please, please, Lord, don't make me make this. Help me not make this mistake again. But there's no evidence of that here. 
We need to pray at the very, very point of familiar temptation. So we need to prepare, we need to pray. Third one, we need to persevere. So I'll tell you what, here you go. Let, let me give you a word of encouragement tonight. You ready for your word of encouragement? You're going to fail at this. We are all going to fail at this. We are all going to do an Abraham. We are all going to sin, and then we are going to repeat that sin. But here's the thing. We can't just give up. We can't just say, oh, see this area of repeated sin? It's just a part of kind of who I am. We can't just say, oh, well, that's just an area of weakness. That's, that's fine. We have to fight those things. And so let me say to you t- tonight, because I'm, I'm sure it's probably the case that there are people in here who are despairing about patterns of sin in their lives. Because let me say a couple of things to you. You are not alone. Okay? You're not alone in this. Paul the Apostle. Think about it. You know, Paul the Apostle said about himself, he said in Romans, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I do. That's Paul the Apostle. Then think about what we've got here tonight. This is not Lot. This is not some some horrible, horrible guy. This is Abraham. You know, the sort of, the hero, the patriarch Abraham, the hero of the faith. And he is struggling with this, with this repeated sin. You are not alone. But then let me also say to you, ultimately, you are already armed for this battle with repeated sin. Because in Jesus Christ, if you are a believer tonight, you are armed with the power of Christ. You are armed for this battle against repeated habitual sin with the Holy Spirit. So I say to you, let's prepare, let's pray, let's persevere, and this week, let us fight, let's go out and and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit repeated sin let's do it on our knees before our god so we've seen that abraham repeats an earlier mistake but what i want to do normally what we would do in a sermon with sort of three or four points and we would sort of start at the beginning and then we would move further on into the chapter and carry on like like that and work through it i don't want to do that in the second point the second point, I want us to stay exactly where we are uh, with this sort of lie that Abraham has told Abimelech. And I want us to think about the lie he has told um, specifically. Because, yes, we see that it is a repeated thing that he does here, okay? He said this lie before, and he say, now we've looked at the fact he says it again. It's repeated sin. What I want to do in this next heading is to think about what he does exactly. Like, I want us to think about what is the nature of this sin. So here's our second heading. 
And it is the hiding of identity. The hiding of identity. So what is it that Abraham and Sarah do? Well, I was reading this week uh, on the internet about a guy that you may know a lot more about than I do. Um, He's a guy called Ray Mobby. Um, Now, Ray Mobby's just an ordinary guy. Um, He was a a Tory MP for, well, he's as ordinary a guy as a Tory MP can be. He was a a Tory MP for a place called Totnes in Devon between, I think, the 1950s and the 1980s. Now, the interesting thing about this guy, Ray Mobby, was that uh, for all that time, he was also a spy. So imagine this, you know, he, he's a spy, I think, for the, the Czechoslovak uh, Socialist Republic between the 50s and the 80s. So imagine that. And here's the guy in Westminster there sitting as a conservative member of parliament. And for that whole time, what's he doing? He's feeding information back to another state. He's a guy who is hiding his identity, right? Now, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we've got in Genesis 20. Because look, if you look down at verse 13, you'll see that this is all very thought out. You see, Abraham and Sarah have actually entered into a pact together where Sarah you see what she's agreeing to do? She's agreeing to hide her identity. She's agreeing that with this king, Abimelech, but also with anyone else, she is going to just pretend to be the sister. She's going to hide her identity. She's going to hide her relationship with Abraham. Now, this is what I am desperate for us to see tonight. And it is just how relevant that is, not only for our congregation, but how relevant it is for the church up and down this country. Because you see, there is today, um, certainly in Britain, and I would imagine further afield as well, there is what we'll call tonight um, the scandal of camouflaged Christians. Isn't there? You know, there, there is the reality in this country, certainly. There's reality that many of us, people who, who, who are Christians, you know, people who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and people who have come into a new family in Christ, people who have got a new family name in Jesus Christ, there are many people who hide that new identity from those that we encounter outside the church. That just like Sarah, what do we do? We hide our most important relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that what we're guilty of is going out and sort of outright lying to everybody that we encounter. That's that's not it. It's not as clear-cut as that. With our work colleagues and with our friends, there'll be truth in who we project to be. Just like with Sarah, there was truth in the fact that she was Abraham's sister. But do you see what the problem is? The problem is that just like Sarah, we are leaving out, we are omitting the most essential detail, the thing that people need to hear. We go out into the world, many of us, 
And we omit the fact that we are believers. We don't tell the world that we are married. Married to Jesus Christ. Now, why do we, why do, we do that? I mean, why do we hide who we are from the people in our lives? Well, let me suggest that we do so for the same reasons that, that Abraham and Sarah had their relationship. Why did Abraham and Sarah pretend that they weren't married? Why did they hide their, their marriage? Do you see that? Essentially, it's about fear, isn't it? I think it's about fear. I mean, Abimelech in verse 11 confronts Abraham, and Abraham just shows fear. He, he, he fears those people that he encounters in this new city. He's scared of them. And as well, at the same time, Abraham shows a lack of faith in God. He doesn't believe that God could change these people, that God could have worked in these people. Does that not seem familiar to you? Isn't it often fear? Isn't it often a lack of faith in God's ability to change people? Isn't, aren't those the reasons that we kind of hide our identity and hide our relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, folks, what I want you to see and please take away is that us camouflaging our identity as Christians is wrong and it's, it's dangerous regardless of how we try to dress it up. You see, nowhere in Scripture are we going to find that support we want for this idea that bangs around the church, this idea of sort of evangelism by subterfuge, you know? Nowhere in Scripture are we going to... You know that idea that, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to tell my work colleagues and my friends that I'm a Christian you know, that idea that, that I'm just going to build relationships with people for a while. I'm not going to tell them anything about my faith. And, you know, I'll, I'll be nice to them and I'll chat to them and I'll be really supportive. And then one day, you know, a sort of unspecified day, months, years down the line, I'll sort of unveil who I am. Oh, I'm a Christian and everyone will be saved and it'll all be nice. And sh- we, don't, we don't see that in Scripture. What does God tell us to do? He tells us to let our light shine. Let our light shine before men. Friends, we are not to do a Sarah. We are not to hide our identity. So this week, let's, let's, let's go into the, the city of London. You know, let's go into these millions of people. And let's not, let's not hide the fact that we're Christians. Let's not hide the fact that, that we've got this awesome good news. Salvation can be found. Let's not hide what Christ has done for us. And instead, let's declare our marriage. Yeah? Let's declare that we have a great relationship with the great bridegroom of glory. So we've seen that there's repeated sin. We've seen that it's a hiding of identity. This is what I want us to do as we close, okay? I just want us to look at how this mayhem, this problem is solved or resolved. So our third point is the hardship 
of mercy. The sound weird, but we'll go with it. The hardship of mercy. What we find um, is that to resolve the situation between Abimelech and Abraham, what we find is God gets involved here. Okay? That God appears to Abimelech in a dream. That it is God, it's not Abraham, it is God who reveals Sarah's identity and it is God who demands Sarah's return. Now, the word that I want us to, to focus on is the word mercy. Please see the mercy in what God does there. Now, God's merciful to Abraham, isn't he? Like, Abraham's lied again. He's, he's made the same mistake. He's lied about his wife. He, Abraham's made a mess. He'll agree with me on that. And then look at, look at God's mercy to, to him. God reveals the identity. God ensures that Abraham's wife is, is back with Abraham. So there is mercy towards Abraham. But this is what I want to focus on. There is also immense mercy towards Abimelech. Here, this king. Now think about it. Normally, there should have been sex here, shouldn't there? Normally, Abimelech should have slept with Sarah. I mean, he's taken Sarah into his household, kidnapped her, taken her in. Normally, he should have by now slept with her. That was the norm. And so, when her identity is revealed by God as another man's wife, what should have happened? Abimelech should be facing execution for that crime. Another man's wife, right? But look what we've got in verse 6. Verse 6 tells us that, that God has stepped in, that God has prevented, God has kept Abimelech from sleeping with this woman. Therefore, God has protected Abimelech from, from going into sin. So do you see the mercy with that? The mercy towards Abimelech. But, but this is the important point. The mercy that God shows Abimelech, it is mercy through illness. It is mercy through hardship. Now, it's difficult to see that from the text. I'll grant you, th this chapter of Scripture is a bit like a jigsaw. But do you know what? If we, if we just put the pieces of the jigsaw together, what we see is that God prevents Abimelech from sinning by causing some sort of disease to come upon him, a disease that limits his sexual function. Look at the bits of the jigsaw. Abimelech is said that he, he can't touch Sarah, right? And that's about verse 6. Then you put that together with the fact that at the end of the chapter, you've got all these women infertile. You've got the whole city, all the, the family, all these women are infertile. Put those two things together with the fact in verse 17. Do you see it? Abimelech needs to be healed here. So what we find... What all the biblical commentators are agreed on here is that Abimelech is suffering here some sort of divinely ordained disease that prevents him, stops him from having sex. A disease that
that prevents him from straying into sin. Now, think about that. Abimelech wouldn't have a clue what the reason was. All Abimelech knows there is that he is ill. All he knows is that he's suffering, that his family is suffering. All he knows is that all these women here are suffering, and there's going to be anxiety, and there's going to be worry, and they're going to be tearing their hair out. But you see, it's mercy. It's mercy from God. God is restraining him here, and it is all by way of illness. And this is where we close. This is where we drag it into the room and we apply it. Because it is surely true that even group of Christians, even as the congregation, we want answers from God, don't we? When we are ill, when we suffer, when we go through hardship, we want answers from God. Now, sometimes we are not going to get those answers from God. But perhaps there, in Genesis 20, we are seeing reasons why we might go through these things. Because what is true of Abimelech here might be true for us. That sometimes we suffer and go through things by way of prevention. Sometimes we're ill, sometimes we suffer, because God is using that to stop us falling into unbelief, falling us into further sin. It could be that. It could be. Again, like Abimelech, that we are caused to to go through these things, to make us repent of certain sin. Abimelech here, he becomes ill, and suddenly he's repenting of taking Sarah. But I think ultimately what we've got in Genesis 20 is the overarching reason why Christians suffer and go through illness. We suffer like this. In order for God to bless his people. Because, think about this. If we think about Abimelech's illness properly, if we look at it in light of what we've seen over the past weeks in Genesis, if we look at why he's ill, in light of all these previous chapters, what do we see? We see that Abimelech is ill so that he would return Sarah. So that Sarah and Abraham would again come together. We see that Abimelech was ill so that in the very, very next chapter, that child, the child of promise, that he would be born to that couple. Abimelech's illness, as horrible and as miserable as it may have been, it was needed to ensure the fulfillment of blessing that God had promised to his people. Now, I wonder, do you see how that should change how we regard our illnesses, present and future? We should see that God isn't just, he's not just sovereign over our illness. We should see that these things happen because God is single-minded. That he loves us in Christ Jesus. That he longs to bless us in Christ Jesus. And if that means that we have to be ill, and if that means that we have to, to suffer pain, 
then God will allow that. You see, he will allow it because the, the riches that he will give us in Jesus Christ, they far and away outweigh what we have to endure just now. Abimelech was ill, but only so that he would be saved, that his family would be saved, and only so that that child of promise would be born, through whom would come a nation. From which a saviour would be born. Abimelech was ill, so that all of the nations of the world will be blessed. We praise God that he is single-minded, that he is determined to bless his people in Christ. Let's pray.